Hey, Outcomes Rocket Nation, Saul Marquez here. I wanna to talk to you about Fullscript. Fullscript is a virtual dispensing platform that lets practitioners dispense professional grade supplements and improve patient adherence from anywhere. It has the most comprehensive catalog of products and has adherence tools like refill reminders and auto reorder. It even sends medically reviewed wellness content to your patients. It's simple to use, loaded with features and integrates with you and your patients' day-to-day -day lives. For example, when you write a prescription, it's sent directly to patients via text or email, and when they order supplements, they're shipped right to their door. The best part of it all, it's free. So, to try Fullscript today, if you're considering adding supplements to your treatment plans, check out their comprehensive guides and best practices on how to do it. Visit fullscript.com rocket. That's fullscript.com rocket. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Sal Marquez is here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Amy Haymans. Amy is the founder and chief experience officer of MadPow. She believes that design can help improve the human condition. It was with that mission and vision that she founded MadPow in 2000. MadPow leverages strategic design and the psychology of motivation to create innovative experiences and compelling digital solutions that are good for people and good for business. In today's interview, we're gonna enjoy a great conversation about how Amy and her team are doing just that to both improve outcomes and business success. Amy, such a privilege to have you here today. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, okay, I've been a big fan of the work that you guys do, you know, behavioral change, digital solutions, really designing that, you know, customer focused design thinking is important. And so tell me a little bit about what inspires your work in healthcare. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. So um, as you may know, uh, the health system can be a bit of a mess. It, you know, it wasn't, it's not like a bunch of experts kind of sat down and designed it, you know, knowing then what we know now, right? It, it sort of happened by default and by the nature of the, the data flow and the, and the business relationships and regulations and everything else. But what we have now is the patient left at the center of a very disconnected ecosystem and they're trying to figure it out on their own. And we are battling chronic disease we're battling depression and anxiety. We're, we're battling substance use disorder. The, the life expectancy is on the decline. Health costs continue to rise. And now we're in the midst of a pandemic. So, you know, no shortage of challenges afoot in health, but so much opportunity and so much opportunity to help people live more vibrant lives and basically achieve their dreams, right? The, the things mm -hmm. that matter most to people are the health of themselves and their loved ones, and also their finances as well, right? So yeah. relationships, health, and finances are at the top. And, you know, we believe in the work we do, we can accomplish really good things uh, and positive impact at scale. So we're working with large, complex organizations to help them to understand the needs of the people they serve. What matters most to them? What is their context? What is their value proposition? What are the tasks they need to get done? And what are their hopes and dreams? And how do we help them to get from point A to point B? How do we help to uh, motivate them? How do we help to help them to accomplish that which they want most? And we shape that up and envision that with our clients and bring it to market. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that, Amy. And, you know, it's not easy to do. We get stuck in our business models. We get caught up in how we believe business should go. And in healthcare especially, the end consumer has been left out of the picture. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
So the work that you guys do is critical to really bringing it home for all of us. So I'd love to hear from you how MadPow is is really adding value to the healthcare ecosystem and helping the consumer. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, what, what you're getting into is like, you know, in the health system, it, it is a business, right? Unless, unless it's a nonprofit or you're working for a government agency. <laughs> but, but the point is that the mission has an organization, there's people, there's politics, um, there's all these things to be considered, all these complexities. But we tend to look at the data, right? We want one plus one to equal two. We want to know exactly what we should do. So we, we do surveys and we look at analytics and we look at big data and, and we hope to get the insight that are going to help us drive the innovations that are going to help improve people's lives. But sometimes, you know, we can get lost in the data and it isn't, you know, we, we can't get the answer from a spreadsheet. Data tells us what's going on, but it doesn't tell us why. And it doesn't tell us how we might improve the situation. So we're big fans of designing with people as opposed to for people. So we go deep in terms of qualitative research and ethnography. Even now we do ethnography virtually where we're doing, you know, digital video journal studies or being with people in their homes via um, FaceTime or Zoom, what have you. But to get a sense of really what are their obstacles? What are their motivations? And what are they hoping to achieve? What is their value proposition? Because we believe that if we understand the people served by an organization and we orient that organization in the direction of meeting those needs, satisfying people, or even in some cases, thrilling them, that that's the path toward longevity for the business, for the organization. So we look to find the intersection between social impact and business results. And that inspiration comes from deep understanding of the people served. It's research. It's being a student of the problem. It's And again, it's inviting people to the table of innovation to design with us. So we do participatory design and co-creation where we're, we're, we're uh, envisioning solutions with people and they're helping us to design. Well, Amy, I think it's great work. And, you know, for many businesses that feel like they know their customer, it may be that they don't and or maybe that they don't know them as well as they could. And so you mentioned, you know, the different studies that you do, interviews as unique things that you do to help understand that the different customer populations, what would you say makes MadPow special and better than, I mean, maybe not better is not the word, but special and different in the way that you're able to help uh, companies do that? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I mean, because a lot of a lot of organizations do research, right? And the research that we do, we're trying to get to the actionable insight and we're trying to develop empathy as well because that's an important motivator. There's a... Uh, a pathos and a, and a logos, and, and that can help an organization to uh, move things in the right direction. But, but what differentiates us is the behavioral research we do mm-hmm. and the behavior change design that we do. So we design digital solutions, right? We can design an app or a website, what have you, to be wonderful, completely modern, self-service, frictionless experience, right? We, we also do service design. So we're designing the services an, an organization provides and making sure that from a process, culture, and organizational structure and workflow perspective, the organization is set up to satisfy customers and patients and clinicians, everybody that's part of that ecosystem, right? So we're doing the digital, we're doing the experience innovation and improving patient experiences. And and then we're, but we're looking at what are the behaviors people exhibit 
in the real world. We want to design to change real world outcomes, not just to, to get somebody to use an app or not just to you know improve a customer journey, to help somebody to stop smoking, to help somebody to be an adherent to a therapy or to help somebody to better manage their diabetes or to help somebody change the lifestyle behaviors that put them at risk for chronic conditions, even reverse conditions in, in some cases um, through lifestyle change. And so when we look at behavior change design, we're designing interventions that are focused on changing those behaviors. And um, when we're designing for behavior change, we're looking to identify what motivates people most? What are their obstacles? We use COMB theory, which says, you know, somebody needs to have the capability, the opportunity and the motivation in order to exhibit a new behavior. Hmm. So this analysis, this one tool in our toolkit of many tools can help us to deconstruct the problem space synthesize all the research insights and come up with what are the intervention ingredients that are going to help us to help empower these new behaviors or these altered behaviors that will help improve the outcomes that we're looking to improve. I think it's great, Amy. And, you know, it, it's hard to change people's behaviors. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mm -hmm. just, I mean, can you change behavior? You can influence it, right? And maybe this is getting philosophical, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's tough work. And uh, having a set of processes and models that you could apply that have been practiced, rehearsed, redone, implemented at other places could could potentially help how you're approaching your customers. And so something to think about here as, as you listen to today's podcast with Amy, I mean, you've worked with so many companies, Amy, you and your team, as you've implemented some of these programs, how would you say maybe one or two examples of how they've improved either, you know, how their patients change their behavior to improve their chronic disease or, you know, how their business has improved as a result of them? Yeah, sure thing. And, you know, you're touching on something, you know, very important with companies and organizations adopting emerging technology. There's a lot of, you know, let's just get it into the marketplace. Let's just get it into the marketplace. And so organizations don't learn from what's worked and what doesn't, like, right? Mm -hmm. So we evaluate uh, academic literature. We, we take an evidence-based approach to design. We're leveraging scientific method. We're constructing a hypothesis. We're uh, prototyping these interventions and we're, we're gathering feedback and we're evaluating, are they effective, right? So it isn't just about, you know, getting a shiny object into the marketplace. It's about, is this thing going to work? Right. And we're, we're using tools and methods that are evidence-based. And we'll, we'll leverage everything, you know, that we can, that we know about. And we'll look at, you know, what are the leading indicators and what are the lagging indicators? La lagging indicator might be somebody stopped smoking, but the leading indicator may be setting a quit date. And that's actually what we learned in our work with, Truth.org's become an X program where we worked with them to redesign the website that was built in their relationship with Mayo Clinic, uh, you know, uh, sound uh, clinically based, uh, mm -hmm. you know, protocols there. And it was a really effective system, but we helped them make it more effective. And we used the influence through the design and persuasive design to guide people in the direction of setting the quit date, which increased the likelihood of their stopping smoking, right? So mm -hmm. in the redesign, we actually didn't upset anybody when it launched live, which is hard. Change is difficult, but also more people set the quit date. So that's a good example. Another one is our work with Imagine Care. So Imagine Care was spun out of Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical System. 
And it was wonderful because we worked with them from the beginning. It was business model innovation, technological innovation, and experiential innovation all in one. And we worked with them from the moment they had the idea. We did the research strategy, design, develop implementation, and were actually able to evaluate the efficacy uh, during pilot. And what it was, was it helped patients to manage their condition at home, which obviously makes a ton of sense to us right now where your home is, you know, the home is the hospital, the home is the gym, the home is the office, the home is everything right now. But, you know, a few years ago when we started this, you know, people knew there was promise in in telemedicine and in digital health, but this was our opportunity to really prove that out and support patients suffering from top five chronic health conditions, you know, asthma, diabetes, hypertension, COPD, congestive heart failure, and there were even behavioral health diabetes, and there were even behavioral health pathways as well to help them manage the condition in the home with a smartphone device that would connect to Bluetooth biometric sensing devices. So if you had hypertension, it would be a Bluetooth blood pressure cough. If you had diabetes, it would be a Bluetooth glucometer. And uh, what was unique about this is there was a bank of clinicians monitoring this patient population 24-7. And if there were, was any measure out of whack, the patient would get a phone call within two minutes. So the data would go up in the cloud, algorithms were put on it, and it was a closed-loop patient support experience. They could also secure message with their care team. There was also digital health coaching built in, and patients reported feeling supported. They no longer felt alone. There was 95% satisfaction, and 15% of the cost associated with managing this chronic population was cut out, avoided visits to the emergency room improved blood pressure and and health outcomes. So it was really a dream come true in terms of a a project, but also, you know, the outcomes we were able to achieve. Unfortunately, that asset was sold off to a European health company. And, but right now it's live in Sweden and it's changing lives over Mm -hmm. there. It's being operational, uh, commercialized across Europe and hopefully it'll make its way back to the States. But But through that project, we knew that, you know, through behavior change design, human-centered design, and phenomenal technology, we can really change people's lives. Wow. Two great examples, Amy. And, you know, it's definitely apparent that, you know, you, you love what you do. And in the way that you guys are doing it is, is evidence-based, but it's creating results. And, and I think, you know, you, a lot of customers and a lot of companies looking for those changes and that impact are looking for this type of work as you guys have been doing this for the last 20 years, I mean, it's incredible, right? Since 2000. Yes. 20, I mean, just like, <laughs> wow, right? The time just... in the bat of an eyelash. It's just uh, something else. So 20 years of doing this, you obviously get better and better and you create finer distinctions. And, but with that, you also have setbacks. So I'd love to hear from you, maybe a setback that you guys have experienced and, and how that setback made you guys stronger and better at what you do and and helping your clients? It's a great question. I mean, you know, as an agency business, we have to keep what I have to be doing. We all have to be doing constant research to understand what do our clients need in their quest to serve patients, right? So we work with life sciences companies. We work with health systems, integrated networks. We work with insurance companies, government agencies, nonprofits. So where are they at in their evolution? Some are just getting started and others are very mature. And so for the mature ones who actually have built up phenomenal design teams in-house, what's missing for them? Because the best companies will balance internal resources with external resources and not, you know, kind of go too much in one direction. It's a good balance. So what are they needing? Like what, what is the missing link? And, you know, we found that, you know, companies are aware of human-centered design. They appreciate human-centered design to the point where they've invested in it. 
And now what's next, right? So we work with clients in terms of training and coaching and upskilling their teams in, for example, behavior change design, right? So we'll do a project with them. They'll immerse with us. We're simultaneously upskilling their team as we're doing the work with them. But we had to learn that as, you know, we the, the, the companies were sort of building up their design teams. We had to sort of figure out, okay, where do we fit? And what we figured out is we we support design teams. We help them to expand and contract and we help them figure out what's next in the evolution of design. And so we always have to be one step ahead. So our clients keep us on our toes. It's, it's mm-hmm. never a dull moment, but it's always in the quest of figuring out how to improve the experiences that they deliver to the people they serve. Yeah, Amy, I can appreciate that, you know, and it's being part of it and oftentimes being ahead of the game, but helping the client in such a way that they're almost leading you mm-hmm. to get there together. Yeah, exactly. And it's still to this day, we, we offer services that our clients absolutely 100% need, um, but they sort of don't know they need it yet, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we, yeah. we actually have um, change management for design and innovation teams. So we, we'll look at how do we help their teams transform? Uh, mm-hmm. So you have a design, innovation, or transformation team. How do we help that team work better together? How do we help that team in terms of process and culture? So it's almost applying the design process to the design and innovation team. And a lot of companies need that because it would help them to totally improve, make sure their people are happy, they're well utilized, that they're putting great experiences into the marketplace, kind of, you know, uh, tweaking the machine, if you will, uh, in a very human way. But that's not something that is sort of a, a line item on a budget, right? So people don't know they need it yet. And so that that's a, a it is a budding practice, but I wish there were there were more people taking advantage of it. Yeah, no, that's a good call out. And oftentimes, when you think in you know the put yourself in the shoes of your customers, you will know the things that they need that maybe they often don't know. I mean, and that's where the the finesse and and the talent comes in, and and being able to partner with them and gain that empathy, like you said, Amy. In such a way that they're like, okay, you know what? These guys know what they're doing. You know, let me let me just work with them and they'll they'll help me find a way. If you think about COVID, pre-COVID, post-COVID, Amy, what would you say is the thing that you're most excited about today? Yeah, it's a good point. And you said empathy. We, we absolutely have empathy for our clients because they teach us every day and, and help us to to get better. But yeah, pre-COVID, post-COVID, I mean, you know, we knew that digital was important. Now we know it's table stakes. We're going to need touchless experiences. We're going to need virtual experiences. It's calling for health organizations to change their policies and processes in the direction of letting people self-service digitally. And, you know, also what's going on in the world with the demonstrations and protests is shining a light on equity. And mm-hmm. uh, and, and COVID sort of it put a light on what we knew already, right? Folks with chronic conditions are at higher risk. We have so many folks that have chronic conditions in this country and people of color are at higher risk as well. We see the mortality rates, right? And so one thing, you know, a couple of things I hope remain is the focus on, you know, seamless digital experiences completely enabled from the home where people can manage their health and your, your home becomes your doctor's office, your hospital and your, and your, and your gym and your place of well-being and, and everything else from a health perspective, digitally enabled. And also that we continue to focus on how do we prevent and reverse chronic disease and how do we provide for health equity and how do we truly address social determinants of health? It's something that um, as an organization, we're very committed to helping our clients do those things. Yeah, I think those are great call outs, Amy. And, you know, as you think about the topic of equity and access, how would you 
summarize and maybe maybe in a closing thought, you know, what are those top two or three things that businesses and people need to be thinking about as they look to best connect with their customers and uh, and maybe one thing that they should avoid? Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing is to check our preconceived notions, our assumptions and our biases. And nothing can help do that better than comprehensive qualitative research and having stakeholders actually spend a day with different types of patients, different types of members, um, ensuring that, you know, the people we're talking to is a representation of the true audience and adopting a principle of universal design. When we design for edge cases, quote unquote, or if we design for the minority or if we design for an exception case, we're designing for everyone. We're making the experience better for everyone. So for example, someone who is homebound, right? If we were adopting the design principle of universal design, of accessibility, then we would have accommodated our experiences for the homebound. Organizations who did that were ahead when the COVID crisis hit. They were already ready. And they were able to provide experiences that were better for everyone. And that applies across the board. There are no edge cases. There are humans that we're serving. And so we need to figure out how do we factor everybody into the experience. A pitfall to avoid, an absolute do not do it, is to be unaware of the obstacles that are driving behaviors, that the obstacles to outcomes, improvement, because we'll assume that it's this, but really it's that, you know, so we really need to understand, you know, people want good things in their lives, right? If we help them to identify, you know, what they want most, and if we understand what they want most, and we make the pathway clear, and we understand what obstacles they're encountering, and we design to help them overcome those obstacles, they're more likely to be successful and we're more likely to be successful. So let's not assume that we know the situation and research can help us to get rid of those assumptions and help us to adopt a more universal and equitable mindset. I love that, Amy. Such great advice. And folks, as, as you consider your approach to your market, to your customers, I definitely encourage you to take a look at the work that Amy and the MadPow team is up to. Now, you could find them at madpow.com. That's M-A-D-P-O-W.com. Just extraordinary work by this purpose-driven team. And Amy, I mean, just I, I can't thank you enough for the work you guys are up to and, and really just sharing it with us today. So I want to I thank you for that. It is my absolute pleasure and anytime. time.